Yeah, we're playing a little game called Bury the School Night. Every time I do an every night to school night, it feels like such a special occasion. And I'm like, oh, I'll give it a few days. I'll wait a few days before I do another night school because I want to let the school night breathe. What we call letting the school night breathe. But here we are. we got more to say. You know, I'm thinking about something that comes up on here a lot, but I see more and more of it everywhere I look, which is people posturing and saying, like, everybody else is so dumb. Oh, my God, people are so stupid. Oh, my God, people are stupid, which usually means these people don't agree with me. When someone refers to... You know, when someone makes some sweeping generalization that, God, people are so dumb, usually what they mean is people aren't doing what I want them to do or people aren't agreeing with me. And the way things are right now, it's not even a matter of personal agreement. It's usually people don't agree with me on some infinitely complex, large political or societal worldly issue. Which makes it even funnier. Here is this thing that is basically a hall of mirrors that looks different from every angle. And people are coming from so many different places. Yet if you don't agree with me and the people who do agree with me, if you don't agree with us, you must be stupid. And it would be very easy to, when you hear somebody say that, to be like, oh, if you think everybody's stupid, you're stupid. But that's not the truth at all. People who say that are usually of completely average intelligence. And I think it's people who, I think it's people of completely average intelligence who often suffer the most. And there's no way to really quantify that. You know, and as I've explained at length on here, as I've described at length, I don't even, I I wouldn't even know how to measure intelligence, so I just see it as basic awareness. And when you start understanding that intelligence is a form of awareness, you start to understand that, oh yeah, you know, my dog isn't stupid because he's a dog. He has a certain level of awareness. A baby isn't stupid because they're a baby. The baby has a certain level of awareness. And every creature has limitations. But limitations don't make a creature stupid. Because with those limitations come certain assets. Like certain animals, you know, going with dogs. Your dog can smell a lot better than you. It can hear better than you. And going back to just humans, you know, people have so many different skills that other people don't have. But what's funny about that is that when someone says, oh, everybody's so stupid, oh, that person's stupid. Usually they don't mean, oh, that person can't complete this type of math equation. Oh, that person doesn't know calculus. Very rarely is that what someone means. They're not saying, oh, that person isn't able to express themselves in writing very clearly. That person lacks the ability to do technical writing. 
we kind of understand, most people understand that not everyone has the same skill set, that not everybody has the same abilities, that some people's intelligence manifests in different ways. Most people understand that. But yet we still will readily call large groups of people stupid. But that's because most of it revolves around whether you agree with me or disagree with me. And if you disagree with me, even though I got my opinion from somebody else, I mean, how many people you know have a stance on something that they came to on their own? I know some people that I would say that's true of, but not that many. I don't know very many people who form the stances they have mostly independent of other people. I mean, it's unlikely that anybody can do that 100%, but I do know some real individuals who have formed their stances on things through their own awareness, their own perception. But most people that you know, they form their stances because of someone they know, because of you know the news they watch, what they read online, any number of sources, any number of influences. And so it's funny that like anybody who disagrees with me is stupid. But where'd you even get that idea? Where'd you even get the idea that you were disagreeing with someone over? You didn't come up with it yourself. But yeah, when I hear somebody say like, oh, everybody's stupid, or this person who disagrees with me is stupid, what I hear is I am of completely average intelligence. And I think that makes people shriek inside more than anything else. It's not being stupid that makes someone scream out. It's when someone has completely average intelligence and they know it. And whatever that means, like I said, I can't quantify what average intelligence is. But, you know, that's, that's basically my way of summing it up for the sake of this conversation. And I did a little Instagram video earlier. And, uh, you know, my Instagram's just a joke. I think my Instagram is just a joke that uh, makes people go, what's his deal at best at this point? But I did one of my little videos, my silly little videos of me yelling in an accent. But I was making fun of the term sapiosexual. And that was something I first came across during the brief window of time that I was on dating sites about a decade ago. Is I would come across some, it was always some very progressive liberal girl and her profile her profile would say like I'm a sapiosexual I'm a sapiosexual I'm a, I'm pansexual and sapiosexual and in my little video I was making fun of that because I was like well first of all when you say that you're inconveniencing people because they always have to look it up nobody knows what that means so you're you're forcing people to look this thing up and if you're not if you're not familiar, which God bless you if you're not, it means like you're attracted to people based on their intelligence. So sapiosexual means you're attracted to smart people. 
and it's very progressive because it doesn't mean smart men or smart women it means just smart people you're attracted to anybody who captures your intellect but what that is it, when someone says they're sapiosexual they might be saying oh I'm attracted to smart people but what they're actually saying is I'm smart by being attracted to smart people, I'm smart. And that's another one of those common signals in all this. You know, I did that episode a couple days ago about people signaling street credibility. How even people who have had very cushioned lives, very plush lives, how they still have this need to constantly signal that they have some sort of street knowledge, some sort of street credibility. And I won't go on about that because I think I said enough about it in that other episode. But in addition to noticing that, this need to signal street credibility, even when you have none, especially when you have none, the other one that I see so much of is people finding what they believe are clever ways that signal, I'm intelligent. And one of those, one of the simplest ways is to call other people dumb. Oh, anybody who doesn't agree with me is dumb because I'm smart. But when someone says, I'm, I'm a sapiosexual, I'm a sapiosexual, you know, what they're saying is, I'm attracted to smart people because I myself am smart. Very trashy, in my opinion. Very tacky, as they say. Trashy and tacky. But it's another sign that that person is of completely average intelligence. And that shouldn't be an insult, because it's not. Like, being of average intelligence is not insulting. Seems like an okay place to be. I personally think of myself that way. I'm not particularly gifted in matters of the intellect. I'm not particular. I don't say that out of humility. Like, I know what my skills are and everything. But, uh, you know, in terms of just having some extra ability to process information. You know, I don't, I mean, I, I don't understand a lot of things. I'll hear complex ideas explained and have no idea what's being said. And a part of that is I don't care. I just don't care about these things a lot of the time. But uh, there's nothing wrong with being of completely average intelligence, but I think that fact tortures some people. It tortures people inside. And so they want to find different ways to signal that I'm not average intelligence. See, I'm, I'm a sapiosexual. And therefore, by being attracted to smart people, it makes me smart. And I've mentioned before how people do this by saying, like, I'm into science. A lot of the people you come across, like, unless they actually work in a scientific field, unless they're an actual scientist... Unless they have some sort of vested interest in the science industry, and it is an industry, that should be acknowledged way more often. It's a complete industry, but uh, when people when people kind of like signal like, oh, I I read articles about science, I read scientific journals, you know, when people need to signal that a lot, what they're trying to communicate is that they're intelligent. Because there are certain interests that we have 
where people kind of operate on this assumption that, oh, if you're interested in that, you must be smart. And I know this has come up before because I used the example of math. But we don't think of math as something that the average person would be interested in. We don't think of it as something that a dumb person would be interested in. Why would a dumb person like math? You know, you just don't think of things that way. Like somebody who only understands basic addition wouldn't go around saying, well, my interests include math. Same with somebody who failed biology class. You don't think of that person going around being like, well, I'm really into science. And when someone communicates that they're interested in math or interested in science, you go, oh, they're smart. Even though you really have no idea what their understanding of that is. And there's a good chance that whatever their understanding is, isn't even their own. But people have picked up on the fact that you can tell someone you're interested in those subjects and they'll automatically deduce that, oh, you must be smart. And maybe that person is. But a lot of people who are interested in those subjects, guess what? They have completely average intelligence too. Doesn't mean they're gifted. Doesn't mean they have any extra special insight into those subjects. And maybe they do have a genuine interest in them. But it's a little trick that some people use where it's like by communicating to people that you are interested in those niches, you are letting them know that you are smart. And it's going on a lot these days with big science taking over the conversation. A lot of the public conversation these days revolves around big science. And people who support big science love to tell everybody who doesn't that they're stupid. And in doing so, they communicate that they themselves are smart. Because the smart people support big science. The, the smart people follow all the coronavi protocols. But then you can see where that gets inverted where people who reject big science love to call all of the people who follow big science stupid, which to me isn't the right solution either. You're playing the same game and the whole game is rotten. The whole game is rotten, which is why I try not to play it. But see, I don't want to get self-superior about that. I don't want to look at that game people are playing surrounding big science where it's like smart people follow all the coronavirus protocols, even though they're constantly changing and it seems to be built on shifting sands, the smart people follow whatever the protocol is right now. And then the opposite side says, well, you're just following the protocol because you're too stupid to think for yourself. But it'd be very easy for me, in turn, to go, you're both playing a stupid game, and I'm the smart one. I'm the smart one because I'm not invested in either side. It'd be very easy for me to take that stance. And it's hard not to in some way. 
You know, I think that plays into our fallen nature that it's extremely difficult to not get self-superior in that way, one way or another. To not be like, oh, well, you guys are both on that rung of the ladder and you're fighting. And look, at I'm on the higher rung of the ladder. You see people who get into spirituality do this often. You see it with people who have new, a newfound sense of spirituality, especially if there's a more concrete religion involved. And I've mentioned on here before how like many new Christians have kind of taken this stance where it's like, I figured something out. I've found God. What have you done? That's not the right approach. But in pointing out that it's not the right approach, guess what? I can easily become that too. And I think it's inescapable in some ways. But, uh, you know, one thing, you know, because I think about George Carlin sometimes, because I love George Carlin. He's classic. When I say I love George Carlin, though, it's not like I'm like, everything George Carlin ever said or did, especially in the name of comedy, I agree with 100%. Because you watch George Carlin now, and it's... It's kind of like, uh, I mean, first of all, it's like he existed in a different time and place where like some of his observations were much more fresh then. And the sort of things he was pushing back against has sort of changed roles with other things. Where a lot of those comedians from previous decades were pushing back heavily on organized religion and Christianity because they lived during a time where that was even more dominant, where that was the dominant power, where the evangelicals were the ones who were censoring the most and trying to control other people's lives the most. So as a result, some of those comedians were pushing back on them. You know, I think about Bill Hicks, someone like that. That's very much what he was doing. But those guys all died before some of these roles had changed places. So who knows what they would say today and who cares? Who knows? Because I've even seen people say that. I've seen people have online arguments about what George Carlin would think about the left today. And what George Carlin would be making fun of. Like, I've seen people say, well, would George Carlin be pushing back on wokeness? It's like, who cares? He's dead. Why does it matter? It reminds me of when people feel the need to, like, give opinions on what Martin Luther King Jr. would think about the summer 2020 riots. I saw all these online arguments where people would quote Martin Luther King Jr. They would basically take selective Martin Luther King Jr. quotes either for or against the riots, or you'd see Republicans and Democrats having arguments over whether Martin Luther King Jr. would support or oppose what was going on decades after his death. And it kind of plays into that death episode I did recently, where people do that with their own relatives. Like, your father would be rolling in his grave. 
or my mom's friend asking me, what would your mom think about Obama bin Biden getting elected? Who cares? That's not, that's not a concern. That's something for the living to worry about. Not that I don't believe, you know, I, I do have a certain sense for the soul does something. I believe in the spirit and the soul. But I don't believe that the spirit and the soul are concerned with with those matters, those earthly matters anymore. I don't think they're thinking about elections. I don't think that they're rolling in their grave over something somebody did. And when something's going on that you yourself have an opinion about, why do you need to invoke the name of a dead person? When all the protests and riots were going on in summer 2020, why do you need to think about what Martin Luther King Jr. would have said? He lived in a specific time. And even though what he was doing, what he was saying, is relevant to the same issues, matters of race, he was still operating and living in a different time. And it's not that you can't take wisdom from that. But getting into an argument about like what he meant or how this quote means this and you can use this quote to try to further your agenda today it's like you've deified people and that's what happens when you deify people you invoke their words like it's scripture which it's not he was a guy obviously a special guy doesn't matter even what you think of him doesn't matter that some dirt came out about him, about his treatment of women and things like that. It's like, obviously he was a special guy because he has been deified. But then you end up arguing about like things he said and he's been dead forever, man. And I see people do that with George Carlin, funny enough, which I think George Carlin would probably get a kick out of, but he's dead, so who cares if he would get a kick out of it, right? But I'll see people be like, oh, I wonder what George Carlin would have said about, uh, I wonder what Judge Carlin, George Garland, George Garland, Judge Garland, Merrick Garland, George Garland, Judge Garland, George Carlin. And it's funny to me, though, that he's been deified, too, because he reached a certain level of celebrity. There's definitely a lot of wisdom in what George Carlin said, even though it's, it's funny, but he understood certain things. But the idea of invoking him and being like, well, what would George Carlin say about the current woke brigade? Well, no, I actually think that he would be mad at Trumpsfeld and the Republicans. Well, no, I think he would hate the Democrats. You know, it's, what does it matter? What do you think about it? What do you think about them? Why do you need to bring these... Why do you need to bring the pantheon into it? But when someone enters that pantheon, and it's a big pantheon, but it's still pretty exclusive because not everybody gets to join, but basically if somebody reaches a certain status, if people are fans of what that person had to say, if they think that somebody had a certain insight, there's this need to continue to invoke their name and apply that to what's going on now. Not that you shouldn't do that at all, but the idea of like getting into arguments over it 
and resting on it as if the as if that will unlock something as if like a George Carlin quote will unlock something today for you but you can see where people abuse and misuse what people say like you know a good example of that is Ruth Bader Ginsburg Rutabaga Rutabaga Ginsburg Rutabaga Ginsburg where it came out that they had edited edited this interview with her. She had done a long-form interview with some corporate news network where she talked about how the football players who refused to stand for the flag, I don't know what she said exactly, but she denounced them. But that didn't really play into the liberal agenda. Because the liberal agenda is that, you know, Colin Kaepernick is a martyr. And that denouncing players for kneeling, which I have no problem with them kneeling. As I've said before, I have huge issues with the way that Colin Kaepernick's martyrdom has been completely manufactured. I have huge issues with that. I have no problem with players kneeling or doing whatever they want. It's a weird ritual, even though I love America in its own way. You know, it's a weird ritual to me. Going back to when I was a kid, I always thought it was a weird ritual that we all stood up and faced one corner of the classroom with our hands over our hearts, all repeating this mantra in unison. I always felt like it was really weird. And I got in trouble in high school for, at an assembly, I didn't stand for the flag. I was just being a punk kid, but my teacher said, okay, fine, just sit there and be weird. That's what she said to me. And I said, okay, that's not going to make me stand. I'm just like Colin Kaepernick. I'm just like Colin Kaepernick. It's me. But I, I, my opinion on that hasn't changed. Now I would stand. I think I would stand now. I don't know, though. I haven't been in that situation in so long. I haven't been in a situation where I'm supposed to stand. And I mean, I, I was at a football game with my dad when I was young. And uh, we were they were doing the national anthem. And I stood up. We stood up like everybody else. And I had a hat on. And I didn't even think about it. It didn't even cross my mind that I was wearing a hat. I was at a football game. I'm in a hat. I didn't think to take it off. And during the anthem, this little old man got out of his seat and he, he had to walk down the stairs to where I was sitting and he tapped me on the shoulder very aggressively. Like you can imagine an old man like jabbing his finger into your shoulder, like a cartoon character. He did exactly that. And he goes, you need to take your hat off. And I was taken aback. Because he was so nasty about it. And what's funny is, like, I wasn't doing it to be disrespectful. It just didn't even cross my mind. Again, it's a weird ritual. And I'm at a ball game. But it was just, it, it was so taken aback by the, the way this guy acted. Like, in his mind, I was doing this deliberately. And you know what? It made me want to keep my hat on. Because that's another weird part of the ritual. 
like the idea that you're supposed to take your hat off during the national anthem, whatever that signifies. I guess the military does that? I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure why. But it's part of the ritual, and I've always found those sorts of rituals strange. But, uh, you know, the same with sitting at a dinner table. Like the idea that you're supposed to take your hat off at dinner. Just a, a very strange little quirk of human behavior that some people are religious about. And even though I embrace tradition, even though I'm traditional in certain ways, those little things mean nothing to me. And the fact that people get upset over them. The fact that somebody gets upset over not taking your hat off at the dinner table or not taking your hat off during this national anthem ritual, even though I have my own nationalistic feelings, they're not, they're not connected to those sorts of little signals that you're supposed to do because that makes no sense to me whatsoever. My life is the ritual. If I love this country, I live my life accordingly. It doesn't matter whether I take my hat on or off. But anyway, what got me going on this is just that there was this long-form interview with Rutabaga, Rutabaga Ginsburg where she apparently denounced people who kneeled for the national anthem, which, you know, was Trumpsfeld's whole thing. You know, Trumpsfeld really lashed out at the players who knelt, which I don't agree with. I think the silly thing to lash out about, to be upset about, just let them do it. Because you can see where in pushing back so hard publicly on the players who knelt, you created Colin Kaepernick. You gave his manufactured martyrdom fuel. So don't even play the game again. But what was interesting is they completely cut that part out of the interview it came out. And not because they needed to trim it down. It turns out they cut that out of the, the interview with her because it didn't fit the agenda. You know, it didn't fit the narrative they were going for. That she made a comment that wasn't part of the bundled package. And they did something similar to her, too, after she died. Or I think it was the ACLU quoted her online and they modified a quote of hers about women's reproductive rights and they they basically switched out the pronouns so that like she was using gender neutral language to refer to reproductive rights to fit the trans lobby So you can see where, like, when someone dies, it's not just that people will fight over things they said. Whether it's Martin Luther King Jr. or George Carlin. <laughs> you know, it's not just that people will fight over things they said and how they apply to present day. People will willingly modify or cut what people say. But the fact that people are so reliant on these deities' words to begin with, these people... You know, you're among the living. Your word actually matters more than theirs because they're not around right now. 
but what got me thinking about George Carlin relating to the whole, like, people are dumb. That was one of his things. And that's one of the things, like, the other day, my friend Ben sent me a George Carlin clip. It's about 10 minutes long. And I, I watch George Carlin, I'd say once a year. Once a year, I'll watch a George Carlin video. And I always enjoy it. And I like that as he got older, he got angrier. Like, he, like some of those George Carlin bits before he died, he was just screaming. He was just yelling and ranting. There was very little actual, like, punchline to them. But the other day, my friend Ben sent me a George Carlin clip, and it's great. I mean, of course, do I even need to say it? But he has one bit that, you know, it always makes me cringe inside because... And it's a funny joke. It shouldn't make me cringe. Because it's not like it... It's not like it encompasses what he actually believed. But his bit was... Think about how dumb the average person is. You know, and then he says... Uh, and think about half those people are even dumber than that. You know, he has that bit. It's funny, but, you know, it's, it's also... It plays into what I'm saying, where it's like this assumption that people are dumb. All people are so dumb, which was one of his big things. And the thing is, I, that it's such an attractive way of thinking. That's why I rebel against that so hard. It's so easy to operate from that perspective. But to me, it's a bad way to think. For me, at least. Like, I can't let myself do anything that plays into that way of thinking. Because it sucks you in. And you start living that way. And you start treating people that way. When someone disagrees with you, you default to the assumption that they're missing something vital in their brain. And it's bad enough that they disagree. Because we some for some reason we take that very personally. When someone verbalizes something that we don't agree with, we tend to take it very personally. Even when it's completely impersonal. And something I've made it a point to do over the last couple years, and I, I've mentioned it on here, but I make it a point to read people's arguments. And it's something that everybody says not to do. They're like, oh, don't, you don't want to read the comments. You don't, you don't want to read the online arguments. I make it a point to do that. And I think the reason why people are so cautious about doing that is because they have an emotional reaction to it. You know, they, they're reading things online and... Even if you're reading an argument between two other people who aren't you, there's this tendency to have an emotional reaction to it, which should tell you something. It's something that's simply written and published by two complete strangers can give you an emotional reaction. But being able to read that stuff, like even if you agree or disagree with one side, I think it's a good exercise sometimes if, if you can detach yourself to read that stuff. It's like on here a while back, I resorted to reading these comments people were making about Eric Clapton. Somebody I have no investment. I'm not an Eric Clapton fan. But Eric Clapton, he's given pushback on the VAC He's given pushback on just the way governments have been handling coronavi on big science. And so, of course, people have to hate him for it. And I was reading some of the comments people were making online and just laughing. Laughing at where people's minds go. What little restraint they have. 
And it's not that those people are stupid. I think they're of completely average intelligence. Maybe some of them are even smart. I bet some of those people are smart. And see, that's the next part of this. <laughs> you know, I spent the first part of this being like, so many of these people uh, who are condescending and think everybody's stupid, they just, they have completely average intelligence. Some of them are actually smart. And once you accept that, things really sort of fall into place. Because we've spent so much of our lives, you know, being convinced that a smart person is part of this priest class. And yeah, certain professions, especially in today's world with big science being what it is, scientists have become this new priest class. That's pretty obvious. But we kind of do it with just intelligence in general. And that's kind of what people are signaling when they say, I'm sapiosexual. I'm attracted to smart people. Basically, they're saying, I'm attracted to people who are on a higher level. People who are part of a higher class. But it's a, a class system based on intellect, which itself is very difficult to measure. Like, I have friends who... You know, struggle with some basic things in life. But they have some of the most striking insights of anybody I've ever known. I personally value originality with substance to it. What do you call that? What sexual identity is that? Well, it's not sexual. <laughs> I'll tell say that. Um, but the other part of this, too, is that, you know, when have you ever heard somebody identify as sapi sapiosexual who isn't a woman, who isn't a liberal woman? I've only ever heard younger liberal women identify as sapiosexual. <laughs> so that should tell you something. And I don't even know if that's considered legitimate. Like, I made this Instagram video mocking it. And after I did it, I was like, I wonder if there's going to be somebody, because I know some really unhinged young women. And they will jump these days at the slightest thing. And I wonder if there's somebody who, who thinks that sapiosexuality is as legitimate as homosexuality or any of these other number of identities I know that S hasn't been added to the LGBTQ thing but I wonder there must be somebody out there who views that as legitimate not very many people but it wouldn't surprise me if somebody takes that level of offense to it but it doesn't make any difference because all that is, is a signal you're communicating to other people that it's basically esoteric, and that's kind of how I see all this stuff. The way that people have burrowed into this twisting labyrinth of identity, it's a new form of esotericism, and it's very vain. And that's kind of how I see the whole intelligence thing, especially like signaling that you're attracted to intelligence, and therefore you yourself are intelligent. 
Because only an intelligent person would be attracted to intelligent people. How vain of you. You know, we act like physical vanity is such a bad thing. Like, oh, oh a girl with a... Uh, a girl who does her hair up and shows herself off. She's so vain. People who take selfies are so vain. Meanwhile, so many people are constantly trying to signal their own intelligence and denouncing other people's intelligence to do that. Isn't that kind of vain, too? Kind of reminds me of a quote from the Bible I like to invoke. All is vanity, vanity of vanities. Which is exactly what I was getting at when I said it's almost impossible to escape some level of self-superiority. And when you say, oh, look at these two opposing forces... I'm on a higher level than them. You are being vain. But all is vanity. It's difficult, if not impossible, to escape that. Even being nice to people is a form of vanity. Even generosity can be a form of vanity. I think there is pure generosity. I've seen it. I have seen pure generosity that wasn't rooted in someone's desire to be a good person. You know, I don't sanctify my mother, but she was one of the most purely generous people. One of the only people I've known closely who was generous and kind automatically. Not to say she was perfect, But uh, there was, if there was vanity to what she did, there were only traces of it. So I think some people are capable of reaching that level. Maybe that's just who they are. But it's difficult to escape vanity entirely, which is why you just have to, have to stop worrying about it. As that Buddhist parable I talked about said, enlightenment is in the exchange. When you are generous, it's not that you become enlightened by doing something generous. It's not that the person receiving your generosity becomes enlightened. The enlightenment is in the process, it's in the exchange. Being generous might fuel your own vanity. Oh, look what a generous, good person I am. But it doesn't actually matter, and it shouldn't stop you from being generous. Because the enlightenment is in the exchange of giving that person that thing that they need, or that makes them feel good, that helps them. So even if vanity is a byproduct of that, it doesn't actually matter. It's not about you. But all is vanity is something to take to heart and remember because it keeps you in check. You can easily use it as a justification for being more and more vain. You can easily take an idea like that and be like, oh, well, if everything I do is going to be vain 
no matter what, I'm just going to be as vain as possible. If I can't escape vanity, I'm just going to walk full force into it. It should actually keep you in check. Because right when you notice yourself being self-superior or thinking that you're on a higher plane than somebody else, that you're more intelligent, you realize that, oh, this is all rooted in my own vanity. But going back to our beloved sapiosexuals, to me that's a giant red flag. And when I look back at like cruising some dating site, because that's what you do. It's called doing a little cruising on a dating site. But uh, when I was on there and I would see on occasion, it's not like I saw this all the time. This is about a decade ago. But I do remember seeing girls in Olympia here and they all had a certain look. You could probably predict everything they believe in. When they say that they're a sapiosexual, you probably figure out what they're all about pretty quickly. As much as I don't like to assume, some things are a little easy. Sometimes the game gets a little too easy. But when you see stuff like that, huge red flag. That person's going to be a nightmare to deal with. The sort of person who says, oh, I'm attracted to intelligence. huge red flag that's a, a, a strong signal not to ever deal with that person that sort of self superiority masked as virtue because that's the funny thing about about all this is we treat intelligence like it's virtuous and some of the most intelligent people are cunning they're the best schemers they're the most manipulative, the most capable of atrocity. But we, of course, distance ourselves from that in the same way that we separate this good science from bad science. And when people say, trust the science, I want to respond and say, oh, you mean doing horrible experiments on animals? Oh, you mean like what Joseph Mengele did? Is that what you're talking about? Trust the science. Trust trust Dr. Mengele. You know, but oh, no, not I don't mean that science. That's not real science. So people distance themselves from the side of it that doesn't fit you know it basically like people will quickly distance themselves from the side of something it doesn't cater to their interests so if right now they're high on this idea that big science is our savior and doing what the big scientists say makes you virtuous they're going to completely exclude all of the horrible, destructive, manipulative aspects of science. 
because that doesn't play into their virtue. But you could expand that out to intelligence in general, where it's like, oh, I'm sapiosexual. I'm attracted to intelligence. Oh, so you're attracted to Hitler. He seemed like a pretty smart guy. And it's like, oh no, well, I only mean I'm attracted to intelligent people who are also good. That doesn't sound like true sapiosexuality to me. Seems like a, a real sapiosexuality is just going to be so overcome with attraction to an intelligent person that morals aren't really going to play a role. Because we see that play out in other forms of sexual attraction where people are willing to overlook their own morality to achieve satisfaction. So somehow you're able to have this innate attraction to intelligence, but you're able to actually control your lust and bad intelligent people aren't attractive to you. Wow. Extraordinary. So, I mean, you can just dissect that all day. And there, there's a reason why, you know, it only comes from younger liberal white women. There's a reason why they're the ones who are out there posturing saying, oh, I'm so, and it's another way of saying too, I'm so virtuous. Not, it's not just a way of signaling like by being attracted to intelligent people, I'm also intelligent. It's also a way of saying like, I'm choosing right. I'm choosing people that deserve it. And it's like, I bet there's a really dumb person out there just waiting for your love. And you'll probably be happier with them. This land is mine. God gave this land to me. This brave, this golden land to me. And when the morning sun reveals her hills and plains, I see a land where children can run free.